Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Happy Haven Podcast. With you as always is Jason Canary, aka Gnarly Canary. Uh, in the Haven this time, we have Jay Sandlin with his creation, Outbreak Mutiny, one of the cooler sounding concepts I've heard in a long time. Um, so get down on it, grab it like you want it, and uh, enjoy the episode. Dude was really awesome, great conversation. Uh, so enjoy. Are we on the show now? I'm sorry. Yeah, but talking, I mean, or is this the show? I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's like I described. I don't do it like a press interview. It's not an interview. Okay. I do informal. Con- Every episode is like this. It's just people talking. Um, right, I, I right. prefer it that way. I know. I have every guest so far has said that they really prefer it to just like. No, my, that's I, I'm actually I'm I'm question a and then you know. The canned answer because it was a completely formed ahead of time question, which I'm sure works in some formats. I'm not very good at formality in my life, so I'm not going to be good at it on my show. No, whatever you whatever you want to do, whatever. So, now I don't know a whole lot about your show. I know you're uh, on the radio in Atlanta. No, um, it's all me. Oh, it's just it's a podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Um, awesome. Yeah, I mean it's all me doing it. I record it by myself, edit it, well, put it out. I, I got a sh- I got a shout out to uh, my podcast. Uh, I'm a I'm an occasional guest host on. Uh, I, they call me the uh, head of geek research <laughs> on the Naked Porch, and those are my good buddies there. I'll give a shout out to them. Most definitely. Um, they also helped me with uh, the book. I, I don't know if I sent you these images. They're pretty new, but you can see my pin tweets at Jay Sandlin Writer. Um, they helped me make stats for my characters. We made like – I guess you'd say almost like an online trading card. Yep. And, and it kind of lists their name, their superpowers, their allegiance. Um, those are actually going to go in a second edition of the book uh, that's going to come out in the next few weeks where I also added in some early reviews. Um, those kind of poured in pretty quick. I wasn't planning on a second edition so fast, but when those good reviews came in, I was like, hey, I want this on the title page of the book. Heck yeah. <laughs> so for, for people who may not know, what what's the book called and, uh, and, and what's it about? That's Well, it's uh, Outbreak Mutiny. Uh, alternate history with superheroes is the tagline, and that tells you a lot about what it is about. Uh, I started an alternate timeline, alternate history. Uh, you can see on just one of the very first pages, there's a new map of the United States where it's been divided into new territories after the uh, United States was conquered by the Reich, which is an empire coming out of Europe. They uh, steamrolled in on December 31st, 1929 in Operation Triple Reich, and that's where the first issue, issue zero, takes place. Now, I, I call my chapters issues because I love comic books, but right. this is a, no- a novel. Um, so that's where we started out in issue zero. The Reich invades uh, three different places all simultaneously. Uh, we focus on one of those places, which was uh, Boston. So it was Boston Tea Party 2, but things don't go as well for Americans the second time. Right. See, I like, yeah, that sounds super interesting. I do like the nod to issue for chapter. Um, Yes, yes. This is issue uh, zero through seven, and this is volume one. Um, This is what I'm kind of calling the volume series because I'm going to keep the title Outbreak Mutiny. 
Um, it focuses on one group uh, that'll be you know coming together in this book, the Outbreak Mutineers. They're kind of like my Avengers or my Justice League. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they come from all different walks of life. Uh, some of them have superpowers. Uh, some of them are outbreak babies. Uh, I've got a now that term. You know, there were baby boomers in the early 20th century, right? Yes. All right, so they had the outbreak babies in my timeline, which was the day, or I guess you'd say the time period that you had uh, the outburst of citizens with superpowers. So those are the Outbreak Babies, and then you've got some guys called the Made Men, who are the big industrialist of the age. They, uh, you can see one of them's on the cover, Clockwork. He's the robot-looking guy that created that armor, and he pilots it inside. Uh, he founded the Armorers Guild, which would be kind of like if John D. Rockefeller was to uh, become Iron Man, I guess, in the early 20th right. century. <laughs> so Clockwork is the leader of this group called the Armors Guild. Um, they're largely defunct after Triple Reich because they lose all their money, of course. And uh, they believe in protecting the innocent through ingenuity. So you get all these characters coming from different walks, and the first book has many locations. I mentioned Boston. Uh, then you have uh, Des Moines as probably the primary location. That becomes the capital of the remnant states, and that's the downsized version of the U.S. Uh, they're forced to accept this treaty called the Articles of Isolation, and that turns them to a smaller version where they're surrounded by border states, buffer zones, and the Reich has established territory, and they assign warlords to control that territory. Kind of like in ancient Rome we were talking about. You know, The Romans would roll in and conquer you, right? Mm-hmm. And when they would conquer you, they would set up their own kind of puppet king. You know, he was in charge as long as he did what the Romans wanted him to do, and he would have his own folks working under him. So the uh, warlords of the territory, they have their acolytes, and the acolytes attend like academies. You know, they're trained. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some pretty pretty bad boys and go- girls in the acolytes of Reich. Uh, you'll meet kind of like of them how England names. was established historically. Yeah, maybe so. You could compare it to that, like kind of a War of the Roses kind of thing. Well, yeah, um, because um, Rome came in. It, I mean, it wasn't England. There's, I mean, they were basically. Oh, you mean Britannia? Yes, like the Romans yeah. came in and set up an infrastructure. Well, they and, tried, and it ran that way, <laughs> right? And then they abandoned it, and of course, then you, yeah. Yeah, that was Emperor um, uh, Claudius. Now, Claudius was the black sheep of the Julio. Um, Cla- yeah, can't talk. Claudius was the black sheep emperor of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. Nobody thought that he was supposed to be the emperor, um, but he was almost like the last choice in the royal family. Mm-hmm. Kind of like they were – I guess they were kind of like the Kennedys of Rome. You know, everybody was like, oh, elect him, elect him, or make him emperor in that case. That's a funny <laughs> reference for a boy who grew up in Massachusetts. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, that's how the Julio-Claudians were. But eventually, you know, you get some really useless members of the family that aren't fit to, you know, govern, uh, I don't know, Alaska. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, uh, you, you get your Neros, you get you, your Caligulas, who kind of act like Kylo Ren's of the Emperor's throne. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, so I, 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 and I don't know. I haven't really gotten into the competency of the rulership uh, because most of the, the story has taken place in the remnant, and that's been in Des Moines where they set up their new capital. Um, there's also the Chicago area has kind of become a wasteland. It's in the buffer zone where superpowers are prescribed. Um, if you have superpowers, you're herded into a concentration camp. Wow. Or yeah, or you're assigned to be a member of the Zoner Security, which is basically Gestapo. And uh, that's kind of where the story finds us. Uh, there's a virus that's broken out in that uh, Zoner place in Chicago. And some heroes go to investigate it, and of course things go really bad. Wow. That sounds interesting as all get out, man. Well, I would just challenge anybody to read issue zero. Pick it up, it's ninety nine cents in the ebook form. You should be able to read most of it in just the sample, but if issue zero doesn't have you hooked, then um it's probably not for you. But so far most everyone has told me they're hooked after issue zero even if they're not fans of superheroes or history. And you don't have to know any history to really enjoy the books. Right, of course, but, I mean, here's hoping that somebody who may be not that into history but does like comics or the comic book format, that kind of storytelling, it actually ends up sparking an interest in history. Right, because you might want to understand my references to, let's say, I mentioned the Manhattan Project, and I mentioned that it takes place in Columbia. Really? That yeah, that happened in reality. Columbia was one of the many locations for the Manhattan Projects. Are you familiar with Dr. Xianchong Wu? No. All right, well, she's commonly known as the Chinese Marie Curie, uh, the first lady of physics. She won the Nobel Prize in the 1950s for her uh, work in nuclear parody, and she is an active character in the book. The fictionalized version of her is uh, kind of a badass, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I am trying so hard. Maybe this will get the word out. I'm trying to get in touch with her relatives and at least send them a signed copy of the book. I think I've found her son, and I've sent some emails. I, I've tried to leave a few voicemails, and I haven't heard anything back. Uh, they probably think I'm insane. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that they would be very proud of how she's depicted in the book as just a very uh, capable, strong, independent, and brilliant woman, just like she was in real life. Right, exactly. I mean, credit needs to be given where it's due. Well, she she moved from China. Um, she came over during the – in real life, I mean. Uh, she came over during some of the um, power struggles they had with the Ming Dynasty and then the First Republic of China that fell to the People's Republic of China. Um, she came over to be a physicist, and the first university she went to would not let her use the front door because she was a woman. So she said, bye, I I'm leaving. Like she – instead of just putting her head down and trying to say, well, at least I got out of my war-torn country, she took a chance and said, I'm going to go to another university, and she did. And she really should have had the Nobel Prize at least a decade earlier, but she you know, was looked over because of her gender. Right. Um, she finally started speaking out against it, and I, I won't quote her exactly because I don't know off the top of my head, but she said something like, Atoms and electrons don't care for your gender, but the science council sure does. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, see, that's, yeah, I mean, stories about 
actual oppression, I think, are important today. Yeah. To, so kind, she's of, in- to kind of combat the flood of implied <laughs> oppressions today, let, let's study the history of somebody who actually had adversity and kicked it in the ass. She was a brilliant woman and uh, didn't pass away until, oh my gosh, the 80s or 90s. I just looked up – I was reading her obituary not long ago because I was trying to find her family. Um, but yeah, very. Uh, they call her the Chinese Marie Curie, so I mean that should tell you something. She had a better end. I think she, yeah, unfortunately. Yes. I'd be like, how, uh, about, how about you just let me keep my name? Because apparently I studied this the right way. <laughs> so, yeah, there are some clues. If you know history, you will probably get some clues about where I'm headed with a lot of the plots, uh, more so than other people, especially when I throw out the name Manhattan Project, because you know, we know where that leads. If you don't, just look it up. Um, Oppenheimer is mentioned as well. Um, Warner Von Braun's a character in a very uh, entertaining manner. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, being in your neck of the woods, that name I'm sure is very common. I know it's common for me, but I'm also a NASA nut. It's so, it's so common around here because I live within an hour of the Von Braun Civic Center. And, uh, you know, he's just venerated here, but so many, so few people and educated people um, don't realize that he did work with the Nazis. Yes, he did. He made his move to America during Operation Paperclip. Uh, that was in the 40s when it was clear that America was going to come out on the winning side, and we wanted the best stuff from Germany, including their scientists. Well, that's just <laughs> it. I mean, if what there were, what the. <clears throat> What the German Reich had been planning had gone through, um, he would have been much more famous for the V2 program than, you know, whatever accolades people still remember him for here. And, exactly. and I don't think a lot of people know that. They don't, and I've found that because I've had people tell me um, – because in my book, he's on the side of the Reich. Um, the Reich being my bad guys, they are an empire that rose from the ashes of old Germany – uh, that's what we call it because there's no Germany in my timeline. It's become Reich mania, and the Reich is led by the worst of all outbreak babies, definitely the most powerful of all. You're not going to see him in this book, though. He's just mentioned, and his name is spoken in fear. So no but spoilers. He, <laughs> yeah, I, well, there's not much. There's just not much to even say gotcha. at this point about him. Um, but it was as far as my timeline with the Reich basically winning in 1929, Von Braun would have been on their side. Yes, um, he would have. So he's, he's part of the Reich. He's one of the warlords of Reich. Uh, he's actually warlord of Austria, which was uh, Hitler's birthplace. Yep. And uh, Austria, in my timeline, is the home of the Shapers. Those are the mad scientists who kind of represent uh, the symbolism for Nazi eugenics in my so, like- story. Margaret Sanger and Mangala and all them. I, I didn't have any particular person in mind. I I'm just, just saying that, that that's what we were. Was that the inspiration? Was like the Mangalas and the like the the big the, the idea was, of the time. Right. The idea was passing on the best traits, um, you know, from bloodline to bloodline. Except with superpowers, and the Shapers have learned to manipulate. Uh, surgically enhanced, they add implants, mechanical parts. 
they've basically created a class of monsters that are the foot soldiers and the slave driven empire of the Reich. So you're so going to meet like, a lot of those monsters here. So it's like um, X-Men meets Deus Ex? Um, let's see. Not so much X-Men. What would I compare it to? Who who makes monsters? I guess like the Savage Land in the X-Men series. Kind okay, of yeah. They don't have any kaiju. I wouldn't compare it to Godzilla. But, uh, <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the Shapers. So the Shaper class are a part of, So in the Reich, you've got the Warlords, the Acolytes, the Shapers, and the Foot Soldiers of the Reich Legion. Um, all serving this empire, and things look really bad for our heroes. Uh, did you see the book cover? I did. So those are some of the characters you uh, got. Out. We already talked about Clockwork. Um, the guy down front is the bucket, Buccaneer, and uh, he's probably the, he's probably one of the main heroes. He's going to show up a little later uh, on board one of these slave ships where they patrol the Gulf of Mexico looking for outbreak babies. He's one of the uh, captives pressed into being a sailor, as the British did to Americans at times. They impressed us during the War of 1812, I believe. Like conscription, yeah. Yeah, they kind of pull you on the ship and say, hey, you work for us now. <laughs> so he plans a mutiny on board his sh uh, slave ship full of shaped beasts. Um, it's called the Concroctador, where he sails around with these... Uh, little dudes called the Pyrogs stands for pyromaniac frogs. So they're these, you know, little amphibious monsters the Reich made to go on land or sea and shoot fireballs. Nice. Okay, so on the cover, because I'm looking at it right now. All right. I uh, let's see who who is the with the the hooded figure with the sword and the reptilian. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Now, that is uh, the one bad guy on the cover. He is one of the warlords of Reich. That is the Okinawa Dragon. And Dang. he is he is famous for attacking Pearl Harbor during Operation Triple Reich. Um, he was actually doing it while the invasion of Boston was going on simultaneously. And he's uh, famous for battling Atlas, who's the other character on the book we haven't talked about yet on the book cover. Atlas being the guy in the overalls, kind of the John Henry-looking guy. That's exactly what I was thinking when I saw the cover the first time. Well, John Henry was uh, on my mind when creating this character. He's the uh, American juggernaut, the blue-collar bra brawler, the people's champion, uh, kind of our Superman for the rent for the good guys. Right. And he fought the Okinawa Dragon at Pearl Harbor in 1929. And by all accounts, probably lost because nobody knows what happened to him. He went MIA, and uh, you know they made a monument to him. They had a, a memorial service, but no one knows what happened to him. Uh, but the Okinawa Dragons granted the warlord title over the Hawaiian Islands for that. Um, those are renamed the Underworld Isles, and he rules them as the prison islands for the most powerful of the Reich's outbreak criminals. So you get a little bit of Greek mythology in here. You've got the warlord, you've got the underworld, and he's got nine circles of torment that he talks about where he you know, sentences you based on your crimes. Ooh, kind of Dante-esque. Oh, very Dante-esque. Yes, I was going through that actually and saying, okay, which circle would apply to this character? Got it. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, yeah in fact, so far, uh, every point you've made is something that's right up my alley. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, you, you'll have to re- finish reading it, and um, I'll come back, and we'll talk about some of the details in a deeper conversation. But, yeah, his issue is uh, called Abandon All Hope. That's when you get to meet all those characters on the cover in one issue, and uh, they're sailing down Hades Hallway, which was the former Panama Canal leading to uh, the Underworld Isles. And that's when they decide to stage their mutiny because it's well known that anything that goes to the Underworld does not come back. Uh, gotcha. So, uh, yeah, all in all, he's a tough dude. <laughs> um, he's actually the oldest Outbreak baby that you know about because he claims he was born in the days of the Samurai. Really? Yes, um, he pledged his katana to service uh, for the Reich when Japan joined the Reich, just like Japan joined the Axis powers in World War II. That's crazy. I like it. I like Good. it a lot. I like it a lot. I, I, think, <laughs> I think you're, you're definitely hitting nails on the head um, where people will end up, if they pick it up because they're like, ooh, comic booky. They will definitely end up, you know, you know, it, it's got they'll, they'll that, get stuck it's into the history part. And then the other way around, you may have someone who doesn't who finds the other stuff that we like silly, but likes the history stuff that we like. And then they can find out, oh, it's not just, you know, like there's actual valid entertainment and educational purpose in some of these. So, yeah. you know, I think it, it, it could bring different types of people to the same table to talk about a really cool story, which is always, always a good thing. And, and I don't even care the reason they read it. <laughs> just right. Read it. Just, 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 read just it. check it out. Uh, t- talk to me on Twitter. Tell me what you think about it. Uh, it's at Jay Sandlin Writer. Um, I tell you, for being an indie author, I- I'm learning a lot of things because this is my first release. Um, I'm learning that reviews are gold. Uh, I'm learning that podcasts are great and i'm learning that blogs are great uh, i'm starting to see a little bit in the blog features now um nice. i recently got to be the indie author spotlight for writersblockworkshop.com nice yeah so, uh, i think i saw re- the link to that in the email you sent me yeah yeah that was a review i got to share that was um i i was kind of thrilled with that one and a bit taken aback because they wrote that uh, i was the stan lee of 2017 well, you know, such an underrated compliment as that would. <laughs> well, I, I who would get excited <laughs> over being compared to, you know, well, Stanley? Yeah, and I, I think about the comparisons um, in terms of we both started a company uh, because the novel comics is very much like my Marvel or a DC. It's a shared universe, and I've created an entire cast of superheroes. Um, and I feel like I've got stories to tell about them just indefinitely. Uh, we'll have the volume series to continue this main storyline. Right. And I'll also have uh, other novel comic stories set kind of like an anthology series uh, with following other characters and other points in time. Um, there's just an unlimited amount of things I can do with it. Yes, there are. That's awesome, man. I like it. Well, I good. like what you've created, sir. And I mean that. Um, I just started... I've always written, um, never had the guts to really put anything out there, and um, 
linked up with a guy who can actually draw. I, I can't. Um, I know I've talked to Eric Larson on the show and Brett Booth from DC Comics on the show, and they're always like, well, you know, you got to practice, and I just want to tell them. I'm 36. I've been practicing trying to draw since I was five. In 31 like, years, uh, it has yeah. not happened. <laughs> I, I like Brett a lot. I've talked to him on Twitter several times. I don't know if he really knows me, but we've talked on Twitter a good bit. Um, I'll give him a shout-out. <laughs> we can both shout-out to him later on Twitter. He was amazing. I loved that episode. We talked everything from what it was like starting out at Image to Dinosaurs in the course oh, wow. of two hours. Yeah, it was one of my favorite episodes I've done, quite honestly. And then... Um, Eric Larson, um, I, I got to find the other half of the audio so I can put it out, but he did one, one episode with just me. And then, um, I had a co-host. I don't now. We talked about that yesterday. Um, but you know, all power to him. It wasn't anything bad. It just, you know, sometimes life gets really busy and I understand. And he said he'd come back as soon as things calm down. So I'll keep this going until he can. But um, we had a second interview or episode with Eric Larson, and something happened to half the audio, and I gotta, I, I'm trying to find out. I still, once in a while, will try to recover it. So far, no good. But I um, hope you do. At the end, we were doing a video call, and everything goes out on audio, but sometimes I do video calls. Um, and he was drawing Savage Dragon, the newest issue at the time. While he was while he was doing our episode, and he lifted up the artwork, and it you know I mean when we buy our comic books they fit in your hand. When they draw the comic books, they're on these like drafting table sized, just huge beautiful pieces of art. And he lifted it up and just showed it to the camera. And I was trying to do the outro while he was on officially and I just stopped talking like and that's why I want to find it so people can actually believe that there is a point where I can become speechless because, that would be awesome I mean I have followed these guys since I was like 12 13 years old and here I'm 36 so you know most of my life and he just holds up fresh nobody else has seen it yet not even colored or worded yet you know, Savage Dragon artwork, and it was it was just ridiculous, man. <laughs> but I can't do that. I can barely draw a head for a Ninja Turtle. Um, yeah, me too. I, I can't draw. So I got to give a shout-out to JD and J Designs for making this cover we've been talking about. Um, yeah. Very reasonable prices, and they work with a lot of indie authors for a variety of uh, packages they offer. Um, the What's interior link, artwork. Dude? You can fully shout them out. I, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, and the uh, interior artwork was done by a great guy, a friend in Mexico, uh, GV-Art. You can find them on Twitter, GV-Art. I, I think his stuff is going to get really well known in the next few years. I was glad I got to find him early before he prices himself out of my range. <laughs> but <laughs> right? he, he made the maps in the book, and he also did the issue artwork. There's a you know a small illustration at the beginning of every issue which I'd like to get more complex with that in the future. Yeah. But um, in any event, um, yeah. So that's uh, – <laughs> th th those were some uh, two – I just love working with artists as a writer because I'm not an artist. So 
communicating with them like what you want to create from your mind and then seeing it on the screen or the page, it's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, so I, I, I wrote something in comic book format for the first time. And I actually, through Twitter, um, linked up with an, art, an independent artist, and I'm going to shout him out. Um, his Twitter handle is at Old Can Studios, um, O-L-D-K-A-N Studios. And it was the first time I've ever given over something I've written for somebody to do anything with, and watching these single sketches come out, like the first time, and... You know, the first time he showed me his first sketch for the character of the boy who's going to be the focal point of the story. Um, I was at work. I was on my lunch break and it came over through Twitter in the DM and I opened it and I like I just like I had a an honest to God moment. Seeing something for the first time that because I've never done anything with my writing and that's why I definitely wanted to have you on because I admire the people who have the stones to push because for everything I've written, I've always held it very close to me. And my wife is always like, you need to show people this. You need, and I'm I've, I've always hesitated. So I have all the respect in the world for, for what you're doing. And I think the project is really cool. I think from what people have heard, if that doesn't pique your interest, then I just don't think you like to read no matter what the format is. Well, I yeah, certainly honestly. love to read. Uh, I, I certainly love to read. And from others, um, you know, I, 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 what are you reading right now if you love to read? Um, anything you'd recommend to me? Actually, um, you know, w whether it makes the show or not, the stuff we were talking about politically at the beginning, I'm actually rereading Fahrenheit 451 right now. Um that's pretty awesome. I, I was can't honored read 1984 to, uh, any more than I already have. Uh, Catch 22. I refound my copy of that. The Power of One. Um, if you haven't read The Power of One before, it is an amazing story. Um, I think they made a movie for it way back, way back. Um, it's it's about a kid. Um, during the, um, World War II, he was, uh, an English kid in, they called him an Afrikaner. Right. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if you've read it or not, but it's, the power of one I highly recommend for fiction. I did finish a book on the Bataan Death March called Ghost Soldiers, and it was actually about, um, the first... Um, the first style rescue mission of the prisoners who were being held in Japan um, who were forced to go along the Bataan Death March and then the conditions of the prison camps that they were kept in and they had to completely invent and train a unit to go get them out. So I, I like to read everything fiction and nonfiction. I like to balance it. So... I was about to say Fahrenheit 451. I had the privilege of meeting Ray Bradbury. I was oh, 12 years old at the time. Oh, go ahead. And Tell that story. He's amazing. 
He was, you know, he was uh, in his wheelchair, um, older at the time, but I was uh, part of a theater playhouse, um, been doing theater my whole life, and I got to do the third landing of the Martian Chronicles. Um, probably my favorite of the third landing books, or the, of the, the Martian Chronicles, I should say, is the third landing. Um, for those unfamiliar with that story, it's about a series of missions uh, where the Earth travels to Mars. And the Martians, who are telepathic, kind of meet the humans. And um, in this one, they show the humans their town, their families, the people they've lost that they've read telepathically from their minds. So I got to play like the little brother of the lead astronaut who had died in a fire and comes back and shows him like, hey, I'm here alive. You really shouldn't ask too many questions. <laughs> and of right. course, that doesn't. Of course, it doesn't go well for the astronauts. We know Mr. Bradbury has a, a twisted uh, twisted mind at times. <laughs> he did, but I, I in have, a good way, a yeah, very I mean, good. I've read I've read the Martian Chronicles. <laughs> I actually thought about getting back into the Dune series. Um, I was really bored one night and couldn't sleep, and um, I have a Plex account linked up with a friend, so we just share our music and movies and TV shows with each other. And I couldn't sleep, and I was like, ooh, he put up Dune. So <laughs> I was watching the, the Sting and Kyle MacLachlan, the David Lynch. Um, it was David Lynch, right? Dune? I think so. Yeah, I was watching. Well, either way, I was watching the Kyle MacLachlan Dune, and I was like, you know, those books are really fun to get sucked into. I was thinking about picking that series back up. Right now, with my 10-year-old, um, I did it with my now 19-year-old daughter. Uh, my 10-year-old daughter, we've gone through just about everything that Roald Dahl wrote. Um, that's what got me into reading when I was a kid. I had a third-grade teacher who everyone said was the most horrible woman in the world. And she was mean, and she was this, and she was that. And on the outside, she did look very mean. Um, right. But she's one of my favorite teachers I've <laughs> ever had. Um Instead of recess, sometimes, if the weather was bad, she would, after lunch, we would go in the classroom, and she started reading us James and the Giant Peach, and that was one of those transformative moments Yeah, I played a, my life. I, I played a cloud in James and the Giant Peach when I was nine years old. Nice. <laughs> so my daughter, she's gone through everything, uh, doll, um... We're kind of cycling between Beverly Cleary cause she, and um, C.S. Lewis. Um, she, yeah. likes, she likes the Narnia books, but you can tell sometimes when the eyes get glazed, we'll switch over to, like, Ramona Quimby, age eight. Nice, and, nice. You know, like, give her a break from the really heady stuff. And, uh, yeah, we just finished Ribsy. Um, we did the entire Indian in the Cupboard series. I love those books. Oh I need gosh, to read them. My son is three years old, so he can't sit through the title of a book right now. But I really hope to uh, read some of those to him. Um, Narnia was read to me. Uh, I read that whole series and loved it. But it doesn't hold up to me as well these days. Um, maybe it was just good for like an intro fantasy, but I think there's some better choices. I mean, Harry Potter is a whole lot better. Um, I'll probably be reading that to my son. And that's what's uh, funny is I couldn't get through those. Ah, well, we I might tried. I gave it a try, and I tried more than one book. 
And I know in today's literary world that's blasphemy, but I no, I don't hold it against you, man. Yeah, I, 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 everybody, it's just me. it is what it is, you know. But uh, <laughs> well, that's like Game of Thrones. After book three, I was like, eh. <laughs> See, I haven't read the Game of Thrones books yeah. yet, and, and I may do it later. But I, it was to me, it was just important to go with the uh, TV series because that's what I really got into. I'll tell you what, the changes they made made the story a lot more cohesive and fluid. Having yeah, read, that's not surprising. I mean, I've read all the books. I made myself read them if I'm going to commit to a series, you know, which is probably a good thing I've never picked up a Wheel of Time book because then I'd be sucked in for like 45 books. But, yeah. um, but I've heard all they're right, well, great. I have all of them. I just haven't cracked them open yet. That many volumes kind of scares me. Well, uh, let me make my book recommendations then. Um, right. I'm going to – you can tell me yay or nay. I don't know if you've read them or not. But my number one series, number one fantasy series, definitely for adults, is The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. That is a great series. Fantastic series. I love the tales of Harry Dresden. Um, I don't really write a whole lot like Jim. Um, but I will say that for my scenes that take place in Chicago – and in the sewers, I took a lot from his undercity scenes in some of the uh, Dresden Files because he's got a whole lot going on with bad characters in the undercity of Chicago. So mm -hmm. I, I definitely got something from there. Um, also, Star Wars books just in general. I've been reading the new canon novels as they come out, though I am a little behind. Um, oh, I've got a really funny story to tell about that. You know the author of um, the Aftermath books, Chuck Wendig? Yes. He also has written uh, many other things. He announces that he on Twitter last night that he's going to be writing Turok. Uh, the Turok. Dinosaur Hunter? Yeah, it's going to be coming Seriously? back to comics. Yes, I was thrilled. <laughs> I, I love Turok. And um, oh I was God, thinking, I have like, an N64 again. <laughs> I, hey, I do too. I've got both of those games. Uh, Seeds of Evil was one of my favorite N64 games. I think it was a better shooter than GoldenEye, actually. It was. It just. It was. It, it just. It wasn't the sexy title. No, no. You know, you got James so, Bond, and then you've got Turok. Of course, you know James Bond is gonna. So I make a post on Twitter to Chuck, and I'm like, Chuck, I'm. I'm so excited about Turok, I would love to help write this series because I'm imagining like a long, ongoing thing where they want might want story credits and that kind of collaboration. And I write that, and then I've got – I tag some you know friends and followers in it, and they all start retweeting, and they comment saying, you'd be great for that, or your history would go great with Dinosaur Hunter, and just kind of saying like, Chuck, you should talk to this guy, and – Chuck finally responds, and I, I think he got a little annoyed. He says uh, – he kind of gives a list. He says, one, I am the writer of Turok. Two, I don't require a co-writer. And three, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> and I just – yeah, and I just said, hey – I said, hey, Chuck, that was me. I, I'm sorry. I was just excited to hear about the book. Um, you know, best of luck with it. <laughs> And he, he said thank you. He was very nice after that. I, I think he just didn't know what was going on, but – Sorry, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned Star Wars fiction. I actually, um, I I do a lot of my book shopping at the Goodwill. Um, I'd rather pay between seventy five cents to a dollar fifty for a classic book um, that I've already probably bought 
five times over the course of my life. Nice. And they actually had a bunch of the Legacy of the Force books. Um, I needed Fury, oh, Revelation, and Tempest, great. and I actually got those. Yeah, well, they might make a good doorstop. <laughs> <laughs> See, I haven't read them yet, but yeah. Uh, you know, nothing, I, I mean, the, Legacy I of the, the Force the didn't make me as Donald. angry. Uh, no, well, no books make me angry, but I, I didn't. I felt like they were more Star Wars ish than the previous New Jedi Order series. Um, but that being said, the new canon's been great. I don't know if you've read any of it, but I'd highly Not recommend. The new stuff I haven't. I had, well, let, I had a bunch okay. of Timothy Zahn stuff. Well, that was what I'm about to read over this Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to check out Thrawn, and I may uh, post a little review of that. And then I'm going to. Um, also uh, recommend Lords of the Sith, which is about Vader and Palpatine getting stranded on the planet uh, Ryloth together and braving the elements as the two Lords of the Sith. Um, also, Dark Disciple kind of finishes off a lot of the plot lines from Clone Wars before that series was canceled. Oh, nice. It's very nice, yes. Follows Quinlan Boss and Asajj Ventress on a mission to kill Count Dooku. So you know that doesn't go well, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, good, great book there. Uh, I, I'm loving all the Star Wars books. I, it's a dream to actually write one one day, um, and I've got a great idea. So uh, get with me, Star Wars books. <laughs> <laughs> In general, no, it, uh, I, I was going to ask. Yeah, books. Oh yeah, I was going to ask um, about some of your. I mean, you've mentioned some of the influences for the, the dystopia that you've built in your universe. Did you, did you, are you a fan of Slaughterhouse five or, you know, I haven't read it and I need really? to, I, yeah, I really do. need to read Slaughterhouse. I know that's been on my list for years of, to be read. Um, I mean, I, I've needed to read that ever since on um, footloose when they told Kevin Bacon that it should be banned. I'm like, Oh, that's a book I need to read. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Slaughterhouse five. Um, Amazing. Amazing. It might sound kind of dumb. I might get made fun of for this, but um, uh, it wasn't an idea for the story. But the idea from the Hunger Games about taking the United States and dividing it into new sections like they did with the districts. Yeah. I I didn't do it as rigidly as um, the Hunger Games did, but I did like the idea of redrawing the boundary lines of the U.S. like they did. And that was where a lot of the story clicked from the first draft to the second draft. Because in the first draft, this was mainly a history story with superheroes that happened to be in it. And I was so tedious and long-winded about the historical facts that nobody but you and me would like. (laughs) And uh, I decided to kind of change directions and focus more on characters and the heroes themselves rather than the timeline. So... You know, you'll find that this is very character-driven. Nice. Very nice. But, man, I'll tell you what. I mean, I I could do literature. Oh, because now that the cogs are really going, I'm looking around the room and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did buy To Kill a Mockingbird the other day to read. Oh, yeah, I did. (laughs) Like, I'm looking at it right now. Like, you know, I've never read it. I've seen... I've seen the I've seen the movie a bunch, but I never read To Kill a Mockingbird, and it's one of my wife's favorite books. Well, I played Jim Finch um, years ago. Did you? 
I did. Um, I did. Uh, the courtroom scene, uh, of course. Uh, you, well, you'll have to read it, but you know the idea. You know, they go to court, yep. and Atticus Finch defends um, Tom, who's accused of raping a white woman. And he uh, – I don't know if you've ever seen the movie with Gregory Peck. But, yeah, that's you know, what I'm talking about. I've seen the movie yeah. a bunch, but I've never read the book. Well, check it out. It's a lot better. I mean it gives you more details and the characters <laughs> that live in Makeham, Alabama, and the setting and just you know what goes on with the characters that are only hinted at on screen or in the play. Quick funny story. So I'm playing Jim, and I'm sitting next to Scout and Dill. The, the other actors, and it's yep. the dramatic court scene, and this was a school performance, so they had bust in a lot of school kids to watch it, and just when our actor playing Atticus is making the big speech, he says, you know, it is true that there are black men who are blah, 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 but the same can be said of white men, mm-hmm. so for God's sake – Believe him, and he's in. He's he's really on it. And the little kid playing Dill just lets out a fart, loud fart. And I swear, like the first five rows heard it, and all started cracking up. And I just, uh, I mean, I'm like eleven or twelve myself, and I just kind of broke character, and I'm like Wesley. <laughs> so we we both did bad on that one. Yay! Theater. I I did I did a little bit. I haven't in years. I miss it, but you know, you get busy with life. I, I, well, I, that was uh, the. I'll end with this story, and then I'm going to get on to bed. Um, so the theater was my creative outlet for 22 years, and wow. in a way, it kind of kept me from writing because I would put my energy into learning the scripts and reading the scripts. And then in 2015, I did three plays in a row. I did a drama, a musical, and a comedy all in a row. And at the end of the last one, when the curtain kind of went down, and I I had played the lead role in that one. I had three acts of dialogue on pages to learn. Uh, Not many people came to the the play, first of all. Uh, It was a great play. And I just felt like the work we did had almost turned to vapor as the curtain closed and the crowd dissipated. And, right. and I just thought, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, this is not where I want to put my art and my efforts. I, I want something that's going to be a bit more lasting. So in Outbreak Mutiny, I guess you could say I'm seeking immortality through print. It is achievable. <laughs> it is. I mean, think about it. Think about the people that that we've talked about in this conversation long past from the earth, but still extremely relevant. Uh, I don't think Orwell and Bradbury could be more relevant today. Um, I think they're more relevant now than they were when they were screaming the warnings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that they were screaming. Um, it's funny to watch both sides co-opt the message, like both sides like to co-opt Reagan, and both sides like to co-opt Kennedy. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. well, yeah, like, you can't, you can't both have them, you know, it, I mean. It, it's I, whatever is convenient for your point at the time. Exactly. And kind of like politicians, kind of like politicians in the Bible. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, two Corinthians. Two but, Corinthians. But then you get, uh, a, think, you get a super lefty who's like, 
as soon as they run for office, they're like, oh, yes, I go to church. And you're like, come on. Yeah. Come on. Well, this guy doesn't know the name of the books, and I'm pretty sure you were a screaming atheist until you needed Middle America to not vilify you. Like, you know, both of you, <laughs> neither of you could quote me anything right now from, from, from that book, but you're both going to invoke it. Let's just stop. Well, we will stop on that note, and I will look forward to coming back, and we can talk more oh, about the book after dude. you've read it. Um, hey, when you uh, when you get a chance, I said uh, send me uh, I don't know like your screenshot of you with the book, or just a proof of screenshot purchase, so I can shout out to you later. Okay, most definitely will. All right. Well, hey, and you have a good night. Um, you guys can check me out at J Sandlin Writer on Twitter. Uh, Outbreak Mutiny is exclusively on Amazon in paperback, and ebook is only ninety nine cents. There you go, guys. All right. Have a good night. Much better than that. You too, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey guys, that was Jay Sandlin, uh, creator of Outbreak Mutiny. Like I said, the book concept sounds awesome. Uh, definitely, if you're into reading anyway, check out some of the books we were talking about. Um, in this political climate, I do believe that Fahrenheit 451 and 1984 are very important for anybody of any political leaning to read and form your own thoughts on what you see in society. Either way, definitely pick up Outbreak Mutiny. Um, like you said, you can get it in the ebook store for just 99 cents. Other than that, you can order it through Amazon. And I just wanted to say thank you to Jay for coming on. Had a great time. Can't wait to have him back on. As always, make the world a better place, one nerd at a time. Have a great weekend, guys.